The first action and reaction of every Christian ought to be prayer. Prayer ought to be the first action and reaction of every Christian. And it was that way for Nehemiah. Let me walk you through how we got to this statement. We're looking at Nehemiah. And our series is called How to Get Things Done and Get Along Too. And you'll see that the book divides itself into basically uh, three parts. Uh, there's two main things they accomplished. They rebuilt the wall and reformed the people. That happened. But they did that with three things. They had strong leadership, and that's in Nehemiah chapters 1 through 3. And many of you are taking notes, so you may want to jot these things down as we walk through these notes each week. And these, uh, these chapters, you'll be able to kind of have a good outline of the book. But in chapters 1 through 3, they had strong and sensitive leadership. In other words, they were serving. Nehemiah was a servant, a servant leader. In chapters 4 through 6, though, they had opposition. And so they had to develop an insightful and bold approach to opposition. And they did that. And then in the last part of the book, 7 through about 13, we see that the Israelites returned to scriptural authority. In other words, this book said it and we'll obey it. No questions asked. Those three things became a, the, the major components for allowing the Israelites to rebuild the walls in an amazing 52 days. And so we've been starting back at the beginning with understanding what kind of person God uses when he wants to do a great work. And I want to say this again, and I want to shout it every week. God uses people. You can say it with me, kids. You ready? God uses people. We're going to learn that. We're going to say that. And we're going to live by that. It is not about buildings. It is not about ideas. It is about people. God uses people. What kind of person does God use? Because when I say that, I'm sure there are lots of us who say, well, Todd, you don't know about me. I'm not the Christian kind of person. I'm not a God people. And that's the good news of the grace of God, as they sing, that every debt you ever had has been paid up in full by the grace of God. Praise His name. And that brings me to the first thing we talked about last week. The kind of person God uses is the person who does not focus on their failures, but on God's faithfulness. We talked about that last week, so we're not going to go back in depth about it. But Nehemiah was an unlikely candidate. But he refused to focus what's around him. And he said, there is a better day coming because of God. He looked up to God. But the very next thing Nehemiah did was he prayed humbly to God before he spoke boldly to man. We're going to talk about that today. That's the kind of person God wants to use. And that's the kind of person he's looking for. Someone who will pray humbly to him before they speak boldly to man. Now, we have that backwards in our society, which the longer I live, the more I see that's generally the way it goes. God's way usually is opposite of what the world says. We think, oh, I got a neat idea. I got to find people who have not had any checkered past. I gotta find someone who's the perfect person, and then I gotta convince them and motivate them, cast a strong vision. And we look at all of our leadership tasks as uh, horizontally uh, motivated. And we get the fundraising plan going, and, and we do this and we do that to everybody else, and we've forgotten that the Almighty Creator is in heaven going, There's no power if I don't help you. See, all of our plans, though they may be good, if they're apart from God, they lack power and spiritual depth. And Nehemiah said, okay, God, I've got this burning desire to go back and help my people. So before I put a cry out to them, I want to put a cry out to you. 
God's looking for people whose which, which, which a prayer is their first action and reaction. This week, they can throw coffee mugs all they want at these walls. Well, not all they want. But if they break in and we're not here, they can throw coffee mugs all they want. They can damage a sign that talks about how we're going to treat people. They can do anything they want to this building, but it will not stop the work of God. And when this happens, we don't point at them and and chase after them and handcuff them. Or we might need to from a legal perspective. But our first reaction and action ought to be, let's go to our knees and pray. Pray for them. What does the Bible say? Pray for your enemies. Hey, it's no big deal if you love the folks sitting next to you. Sorry. You guys are easy to love. It's these people we've got to love, and that's when we're most like Christ. If you don't like that, you need to read the Bible again. You like that kind of preaching, don't you, Carrie? I know you do. She tells me all the time, don't ever apologize for stepping on my toes. That's what she tells me. I said, I won't. <laughs> Nehemiah, he was a man of prayer. We're going to move on our slides here, actually, if we can, and talk about now prayer. If the computer seems to be stuck, okay, great. We're going to talk about the kind of prayer that leaders pray. What's the best prayer you could pray, the best prayer a leader could pray? Well, it may be the kind of prayer that Cindy Hartman prayed. She's a, a lady in Arkansas. And she came home one day, and boom, there's robbers in her house. Good story for this week, isn't it? There's robbers in her house. They see her, they grab her, and they put a knife to her throat and a gun to her head, and they force her into a closet. And her first action was... She knelt down, and they had a gun here, and they got a knife pointed this way, and she just started praying. She said, God, I pray for these people who are trying to rob my house. I pray for these thieves, and I want them to know how much you love them. God, I want you to, to work in their heart. God, let them know that I'm not mad at them. And all of a sudden, the thief goes, hot, stop, wait a second, what are you doing? And she said, I'm praying for you because I'm a Christian, and that's the first thing I do all the time. And the guy said, Joe, this partner out in the other part of the house. Joe, stop! We can't rob this lady. She's a Christian. This is a true story in the AP, uh, um, AP Wire. He said, bring all the stuff. They unloaded all the stuff from their vehicle, brought it back in, set it down, let her go, and said, listen, we'll leave you alone. Just don't tell anybody. Sorry to bother you. And they left their stuff, left her alone, and they got out of there. True story. Now, I don't know what, I'm sure that's the best prayer she's ever prayed. I'm not sure what the best prayer you've ever prayed is. Maybe for some of you, it's this coming Friday about test day. You say, oh, God, give me help on this algebra quiz or whatever. I'm sure it'll be your best prayer. Let me teach you from Nehemiah what his prayer was all about. Look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5. Here's the prayer that Nehemiah prayed. A great model prayer for all of us. Verse 5 and. Of course, verse 4 is an introductory verse. He says he sat down, he wept, and he mourned, and he was fasting and praying. What did he pray? What kind of prayers do leaders pray? The people God uses, what kind of prayers do they pray? Verse 5, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying before thee now. Day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very wickedly, very corruptly against thee. 
We have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which thou didst command thy servant Moses. Remember the word which you gave Moses, your servant, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, then through, then though, uh, through those of you, though those of you have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. And they are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power. And by thy strong hand, O Lord, I beseech thee, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name. And make thy servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now, I was the cupbearer to the king. That was Nehemiah's first action after hearing the news of the wall and sensing in his heart, I've got to go do something for God. But I want you to notice about this prayer that it wasn't until the very last sentence that he got to his request. That's not how I pray, is it? <laughs> I'm always like 911 to God, you know. And he's not like my spiritual ATM sometime. I'm just like, I've got to make a quick withdrawal, God. You go to him, you throw out your request, you talk to him. And, and often my requests are the first thing I talk about. And Nehemiah's prayer... He spent most of the time confessing his sin and talking to God and agreeing with God about three things. The commandments of God, the character of God, and the condition of man. Those three things are all through this prayer. In fact, the most noticeable observation, and I've circled these in my Bible, is there are over 30, at least in the one I'm using, over 30 references to God via a personal pronoun for divinity. Thy, my, you. In just seven verses, over 30 references to God. Let me ask you a question. Who do you think Nehemiah was focused on in this prayer? Himself or God? God Almighty. What do you focus on in your prayer? You or God? I believe that the kind of praying that, that leaders do, that the people that God uses, they pray with a focus on God. What He expects, His commandments, His character, how it never changes, and their awful, wicked condition. When that is the focus of our prayer, I think God will use you. Now, I'm not alone in that um, feeling. Look back at the book of Ezra, chapter 9. Ezra prays a similar prayer in which these three things are also very obvious. Look at Ezra 9. We're going to start in verse 5. Ezra 9, 5. This is kind of a long prayer. It's very good. He's talking here about the situation he found when he went to Jerusalem and they were going to restore the worship. And all the people had pretty much intermarried with foreigners. And that was a clear disobedience from God's law. What was Ezra's reaction? Verse 5, at the evening offering, I arose from my humiliation, even with my garment and my robe torn. And I fell on my knees and stretched out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, oh my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to thee. You ever felt that way? I wish we could, we need more of that kind of praying. For our iniquities have risen above our heads. Ezra 9, 6. 
and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And on account of our iniquities, we, our kings, the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, to open shame as it is this day. But now for a brief moment, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us an escaped remnant and to give us a peg in his holy place. He's talking there about the few folks that had escaped captivity. They were back in the land. Verse 8, that our God may enlighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our bondage. For we are slaves. Yet in our bondage, our God has not forsaken us. There's his character. He has extended loving kindness to us in the sight of the kings of Persia. To give us reviving, to raise up the house of our God, to restore its ruins, to give us the wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments. There's the condition of man. Which thou hast commanded by your servants and your prophets, saying, The land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land with the uncleanness of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations which have filled it from end to end, and with their impurity. So now do not give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters to your sons, and never seek their peace or their prosperity, so that you may be strong and eat the good things of the land and leave it as an inheritance to your sons forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and our great guilt, and after all that... Verse 13, our God has requited us less than our iniquities deserve. Isn't that neat? And he's given us an escaped remnant as this. Shall we again break the commandments and intermarry with the peoples who commit these abominations? Wouldst thou not be angry with us to the point of destruction until there is no remnant nor anyone who will escape? O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous. For we have been left an escaped remnant as it is this day. Behold, we are before thee in our guilt and no one can stand before thee because of this. That's a long prayer. That's the prayer of a broken man, isn't it? That's a humble prayer of someone who says, God, if we're going to revive the people, if anything's going to happen in this land, we've got to first of all agree with you about the condition of man, your character, and and your commandments. You see, there's one simple principle about these kinds of prayers. We call humble praying. Humble praying is best described when you identify with God's perspective. Okay? In other words, in your praying, you agree with God that He's right and you're wrong. About who He is, who, you, who we are, and what He expects. We don't justify our actions. We don't try to make light of them and say, well, God, you know, I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't really on purpose. Didn't really mean to do it, and it wasn't that big a deal, and no one really knows. That's not humble praying. He's looking for a little break. Humble praying says, God, you are the awesome creator, and I fear you. I stand in awe of you. That I would even have a chance to talk to you, oh God, is a miracle. You are the true and awesome God of the universe. I am a wicked sinner. And only by your mercy am I allowed the freedom and the grace of God. And, and I know I've disobeyed your commandments. And that's humble praying. We need more of that. That's the kind of praying that leaders do. And I want to say to you that if God's going to use you as He is and as He wants to, it will start when you pray that, that kind of prayer to God first before you go speaking boldly to man. I'm all for casting a strong vision, but I'd much rather lift up a humble cry first. And that's what this church ought to be about.
people pray and crying out to God for mercy and forgiveness from our wicked ways. And don't sit there smug and say, well, I don't have any wicked ways. I'm a Christian. I'm a good guy. I'm a good girl. That's okay. You're a Christian. Hopefully. But left to your natural state. You stray from God, just like I do. You are not naturally bent toward the Almighty. We are not naturally bent to say, oh, you're right and I'm wrong and and I need major forgiveness. We are bent to resist God. We stray from God. Paul talks about that in the book of Romans, that we have this constant battle. The new nature that God imparts to us at regeneration, right? The problem is that it enters a war with the old nature. And so they battle. And your old nature is extremely powerful and deceptive. And it wants to pull you from God. Repentance is the key that enables your new nature to take over. I really believe that. Repentance is the key that unlocks lots of things in your life. Repentant praying. Humble praying. I would go as far as to say this, that lots of us here have issues. That right now we're struggling with God about. And we're having to fight over, okay, am I going to see it His way or am I going to stick to my way? That's right. Even the best of Christians in this room struggle, no doubt, with issues like that. I do. I know week after week I have to say, God, I don't want to see it that way. I don't like the way that reads. I'm not sure I really agree with that. And God's Spirit and His love overwhelm me and say, Todd... You don't make the rules. You didn't write the laws. And I have to come back and say, God, you're right and I'm wrong. Now, I'm not going to bear my soul and tell you all my issues. (laughs) And I'm not going to ask you for years. But let's just admit, the only issue that we've got to do this on is not just salvation, the repentance thing. I think every day and every week we have to... Come in line with God and say, he's right, I'm wrong. Agree with his perspective. Whether it's about money, marriage, relationships, how we treat our spouses, how we treat our kids, losing our tempers, wasting our money. Are we giving, uh, are we giving to God or are we just spending ourselves? Are we treating our family the right way? Are we spending enough time with our family? Are we selfish and working ourselves to death and... And actually working in church so much that our kids and our family wonder, hey, you see what I'm saying? It's not just, God, I want to be saved. It's God, even in the sanctification process, I have to consistently realize, you're right and I'm wrong. And I agree with God, even when I don't know if I like it. And you'll be faced with that. The world will hit you head on every week with their perspective. And when you just buy it and say, oh, yeah, that's right, no problem. Or will you confront it and say, that's not true. That's not what God says. There used to be an old country song called uh, Daddy's Come Around to Mama's Way of Thinking. Anybody ever heard that song? Don't raise your hand. Okay, all right in the back there. I've only heard uh, maybe a line or two, but I remember it being popular. And, and I thought, I, I think I like that song. I, I need to listen to that a little more often probably sometimes, you know. Uh, Daddy's Come Around to Mama's Way of Thinking and... Kind of goes along with, you know, when mama's not happy, nobody's happy. That kind of idea. And there's some truth in that. I was thinking this week about this prayer of Nehemiah's, and I'm sure that that he realized that we've got to come around to 
God's way of thinking. As a kid, that's how it was in my home. My dad, I mean, I could have whatever opinions I wanted, and he'd listen. But when all was said and done, the kids better come around to dad and mom's way of thinking, you know. Because they were kind of like the parents. They set the rules, and that's the way God made it. If I didn't like that, my dad would smile and say, no problem, but just, you know, supper and clothes and your roof. I mean, when you get old enough to take care of that stuff, I'll have you pack, no problem. But as long as you're here, you know, this is the way it is. And he was real nice, and I learned very quickly. Humble pray, you know. i got to come around to mom and dad's way of thinking. You know, that's how we've got to look at our time with God. We've got to come around to God's way of thinking. This has some New Testament support as well. Look at 1 John 1, 9 with me. I'm going to throw the verse behind me. And I want you to see a couple, just one interesting thing. 1 John 1, 9. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, If we will confess our sins, then He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Or faithful and righteous. The word confess there, they're going to be a little circle and we'll show you what confess means. It comes from two Greek words. Homo and logeo. Homo, of course, as you realize, is the word for same. Logeo is the Greek word means to speak. And when you confess your sin, you speak the same thing about it that God does. Confession is not, oh, Lord, I'm going to bed. Forgive me for all my sins. See you in the morning. You know, it's not confession. Confession is God... I see my sins violating your holiness, and I'm wrong, and you're right, and I need forgiveness from you. And notice that what his forgiveness is based on, his faithfulness and his righteousness. You see the character of God interwoven here, even in the New Testament? Humble praying focuses on our, our terrible condition and God's incredible character. And when those meet, he is almost bound by his holiness when he sees repentant hearts to extend forgiveness and love and mercy. It's not because he thinks you're some, you know, you deserve it more than they do. His own character enables him to forgive. He is righteous. He is just. And so, when he sees that we agree with him, he forgives. That's a great God we serve, isn't it? Today's action point is very simple. I want you to say this with me out loud. Remember that issue I asked you to think about? You all have them. Denise, Nathan, Sherry, Joni, Dan, even Steve. You know, I mean, all of us have an issue probably we're thinking about. That we, us and God are like, God, I'm not sure I... We're going to say this prayer and don't say it out loud. I'm not going to say mine. You don't say yours. But I want you to think it. I want you to... God wants you to think it. Think it. Read with me. Ready? Today... I will pray in a humble, broken way by specifically identifying with God's perspective about what did you think about? Where did your mind go? How you're treating your wife? How you're respecting your husband? How you're respecting your spouse? How you're honoring your employer? Uh, How you're planning to cheat on your taxes? How you're trying to get by somewhere. Where did your mind go? How you deceived that last person? 
What is God's perspective on that? When you know God's perspective on it, as a follower of Christ, you don't have a choice. He sets the rules and He gives the laws, and so He has given His perspective. We simply say, I agree with that. God, you're right. With that in mind, would you pray today? God, you're right about, and I'm wrong, and I want to get in line with you. Take that first step of action and agree with God. Focus on Him. Don't go speaking boldly to men. Don't be casting out your strong um, ideas about what you think. Just talk to God about His perspective and get in line with it. That's the humble prayer that we need.